Hey, Bubblies, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's that podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and as always, I'm very excited for today's episode and tolerable. I've tolerated her several times on this podcast, but you likely know her from her horror movie month and trivia nights, her live streams, the amazing interviews she scores, and more, all of which can be found on her podcast, It's a Fandom Thing. That's right, Bubblies, it's Podcast Crossover Day. Fresh from her Christian Effing Bale Celebration Month, please say hello and welcome to my lovely podcast brain twin, Erin. Hi, Erin. Welcome. Hi, Jen. Every time you introduce me on your podcast, I have to say, it's like a total ego boost because I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Seriously. So thank you. And thank you so much for this because I am in mourning with the end of our Christian having bail month. This is my favorite actor and my favorite actor to talk about. So I'm so happy that I get to continue it on a little bit here. Yay. quite completely let go of him. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds really kind of creepy, but I don't mean it to sound creepy at all. It's a, it's all right. We can, I, I think for this episode, we'll allow a little creepy. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Aaron, do you want to tell us a little bit more about Christian effing bail month and your podcast and any upcoming stuff we need to be super duper fucking pumped for? <laughs> sure. Thanks, Jen. Um, so Christian fucking bail, as we love to call him on the podcast or effing, if you don't want to say the fucking part. I mean, we have, it's a Christian effing bail thing, merch in our Redbubble store, uh, became our unofficial mascot of my podcast back in 2021. And that was during an episode that we recorded on the show, Girlfriends and one of my frequent panelists, Carla. I know it, does, it doesn't fit at all with the show, but we started <laughs> talking about Christian Bale because we we're going to be recording an episode on American Psycho as well. And we talked about him for like over a half an hour on this recording that had nothing to do with him. And then Carla does an impression of him. And that's how it started. And then it continued. And then I did one month in 2022 of Christian Bale. And then I decided it would be an annual thing. So every January, because his birthday is January 30th, we do a month celebrating Christian Bale. And we talk about four of his movies and just gush about him. And Carla comes on. It, doing her spot on amazing impression of Christian Bale. It's really, it's so hilarious. I love her, her Christian Bale impression. I watch those clips uh, really um, probably unhealthy amount of times, but, but they crack me up. It's really funny. And so we love celebrating him. Uh, so that's a big, huge thing we do. And someday he will become our official mascot. My dream, dream, dream interview is Christian Bale. I just would love to interview that man. That would be amazing. Um, but, oh my gosh. I would the whole world would know if that happened, but <laughs> that yep. would be the pinnacle. I'd be like, I don't have anywhere else to go from here. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I virtually sat across from oh my god. If it was in person, it'd be even better. <gasps> <laughs> I would just be because I admire him. I it's not I think he's a very attractive man, but that's not really why I like Christian Bale. I just think he's a great actor and he is one of the most humble, may shock people, but he's very humble. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. Like he has no idea how good he is. So, um, and then coming up, we are, we are kicking off. This is a first time thing, a thing called Fandom Choice Awards, where we're just 
doing awards for some of our best episodes, um, best panelists, best certain things. And I want to say, I don't know if Jen knows how many, but Jen has been nominated for nine Fandom Choice Awards, including one nomination for best episode when she was on my one covering the normal heart. But we're going to be <laughs> announcing these live on February 19th. So okay, sounds the winners good. on Sunday, February 19th. And the 12th is the last day to vote. So then they could vote the day this drops. <laughs> sure. They'll have time. Yeah, get it in. Well, I'm I didn't realize I was nominated for that many. I knew I had I was nominated uh for several of them. So that's very cool. It's very awesome. So uh, if there's still time to vote, make sure you vote and <laughs> and vote for Jen. And vote for me. <laughs> so uh, that's that's so exciting. I I can't I can't wait. I can't believe you decided to do something like this. That's so much fun and just kind of a neat way to celebrate everything you've done and uh, panelists what they've contributed to. So yeah, and I just want to give credit. Carla is the one who came up with this idea. She messaged me when I'm. It's me. So I was run with stuff like this. And it's like, you should do an awards thing. And I'm like, okay. And I just wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yep. That, that's me. I'm like, okay, let's do that. She's like, yeah, we should do it for. I'm like, okay. I just took off from there. Oh, I love it. My brain works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my brain works very similarly. So, and that's why we are podcast brain twins. So exactly. <laughs> Uh, in the spirit of Christian fucking Bale, today we will be talking about Y2K's American Psycho, starring Christian fucking Bale, Willem Dafoe, Chloe Sevigny, Reese Witherspoon, Justin Thoreau. I realize I just spelled his name Justine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and others. Uh, the movie is available on HBO Max. It's rentable through other streaming services, or you can get the DVD free from your local library. So we'll go ahead and get started. And here is your spoiler warning slash brief synopsis of the movie. What IMDb says, a wealthy New York City investment banking executive, Patrick Bateman, hides his alternate psychopathic ego from his coworkers and friends as he delves deeper into his violent hedonistic fantasies. What I says about this movie is it's like 80s Wall Street meets Dexter Morgan. <laughs> And obviously you couldn't make that comparison when the movie came out because Dexter didn't air until like 2006 or something. So this is, that was my take after this last rewatch of the movie. So, all right. So we will go ahead and get started with our general thoughts on the film. Aaron, what did you think of this movie? Do you like it a little? <laughs> Just a chat. <laughs> um, well, I, I actually have a, I have a, Funko Pop of Patrick Bateman. Oh, <laughs> that uh, that Carla got me for my birthday last year. So I, I so that should tell you how much I love this movie. Not that I like Patrick Bateman. I want to stress that mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just I I love this movie. Um, I saw this in the theaters when it came out, and when I first saw this, this was actually the movie that made me a Christian Bale fan. So it also holds a special place because of that. But I saw this and I was very disturbed actually when I first saw this. I was like, I'm never watching that movie again. It was amazing and excellent, but I can't put myself through that movie again. Well, that changed obviously. <laughs> I've watched it, I don't know how many times. Uh, but I was also just struck by and 
I don't get to it later, but by Christian Bale's performance and how amazing he was. And also just the very dark, dark humor in this. And um, I thought it was awesome to have a movie like this done by women. Uh, and then I read the book later and I won't get into that. Too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was just, I, I love horror and um, I love serial killer things i know that's like weird to say although i do think sometimes you know when they're when they're fake serial killers i think it's better than when they're real ones frankly mm -hmm. right now but i just was struck with how well it was done how funny it was but also very disturbing and the performance was just amazing i recently was listening to a podcast episode talking about this and um the scene right after um patrick Bateman kills Paul Allen and Christian Bale sits there and does the and smokes a cigar and this person on the podcast said that was the moment I realized I'm no, there's never going to be an actor better than Christian Bale because in that moment of the change there mm -hmm. so I agree but it's mm -hmm. <laughs> just me <laughs> so my general thoughts on this movie this might end up being the shortest episode ever because when I first saw this movie I did not care for this movie I was very irritated and I did not like it at all. And I spent many years just being like, I hate this movie. And I just, yeah, and that's it. So for the pod prep, I was like, well, I know how I already feel about it. So I'm going to watch it twice. And I did. And I think part of the problem the first time I saw it is I didn't realize that it was also a satire. Like I thought it was just kind of a straight horror, psychological horror knowing that it's a satire going into it for the pod prep did help a little bit. So it, it's almost like it made it okay to laugh at like the dark, dark, funny parts. <laughs> but I have to be honest, like, you're right, Christian Bale's performance in this is amazing. But this movie doesn't really do anything for me. Like, you probably noticed that I didn't Oh, she's rolling her eyes, she's gonna disconnect any second now. <laughs> so you probably noticed that I didn't have a lot of really any talking points because I was like I don't really know what, what I want to talk about <laughs> but my main and, and we'll get to them but my I ended up having a lot more like questions so I figured and then looking at your talking points I was like this is perfect because it'll help me kind of work through this moment this is like my therapy session with this movie so I, I don't really know what it is there's a lot of things within this movie that are kind of right up my alley you know like you uh, yeah. serial killers and kind of diving into like their dark messed up world uh, like I said the performance Christian's performance was great oh I think another issue I had was this was my second Christian Bale movie my first one being Little Women this is not <laughs> he no. is not Lori <laughs> no <laughs> and I developed a huge crush on Christian through Little Women because I was like oh my god I love the accent he's adorable he's so cute and hunky and then cut to several years later and I see this movie and I was like and not that I expected Little Women or anything but I was like oh <laughs> but it is so when you keep in mind that this is a satire I think that helps with being able to maybe enjoy the movie a bit more because it did help me kind of enjoy it these two rewatches this last week but I, it's still just kind of meh in my book <laughs> I'm so sorry 
Wow. I really, when I suggested this to Jen, I was like, oh, Jen, this is totally like Jen's movie. So kind of movie. So that's, that's interesting. This will be interesting <laughs> and painful for me, I guess. <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and get started on some of the talking points. Erin, you have some amazing talking points. So we'll go ahead and start with one of yours. And that is the importance of having this written and directed by a by women. Mm-hmm. And I do agree because when you listen to the dialogue and see these douchebag men characters, knowing that it's all been kind of put together by women helps swallow that big icky pill. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you like to expand on that <laughs> since it's your talking point? <laughs> that was like the worst segue ever. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, so this is the novel is written by a man, Brad mm-hmm. Easton Ellis, who there are issues galore with that person, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, and when this movie was first um, mandied about to be done, it was, you know, Mary Heron who directed it. She was going to direct it. Um, the co-writer who, God, like I said, I'm forgetting her name. Let me just pull that up because she does deserve mm-hmm. um, credit. And she's actually in the movie, the co-writer. Um, yep. a little small part um she's actually one of the women the woman who's like the snobby woman who you see him under the sheet biting her and she's that's Mm -hmm. one that's that's um that's Guinevere Turner just to let you know so she's in there but uh so Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner also adapted um from the novel and what they were going for is really going more into that satire because this novel is hated like hated women hate this novel because it's you know i know we'll get into the novel thing later um but it's it it is a very um visceral experience reading the novel because the novel is ten thousand times more graphic than the movie which the movie actually isn't that graphic and it's very and it's a lot of women in the novel that that you see you see you read about patrick killing well i think what's interesting about having women do this is um First of all, if you really, really watch this and you watch it again, the camera is very much from the female gaze, honestly, because like in the beginning scene, when you're watching Patrick go over his morning routine and getting ready and Mm -hmm. his amazing ass in the shower, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) really, (laughs) and the way the camera is looking at him, you are supposed to be lusting over Patrick Bateman's body. Um, A lot of the shots are about Patrick Bateman's body. Uh, the male body and when you have women in there the women uh there's very rarely any actual nudity with women and I think that is essential in a movie like this because a movie like this could be very very misogynistic in the wrong hands because because mm-hmm. Mary Heron was going to do it then it got ripped away from her because she was insistent that Christian Bale be in this nobody knew who Christian Bale was and they the studio wanted a bigger name attached so then they took it away from her they gave it to oliver stone oliver stone was gonna have leonardo dicaprio in this lead role and so mary heron had given up on it christian bale famously was like no this is gonna happen kept doing his workout routine this is very christian bale kept Mm -hmm. doing and, and mary would be like christian it's over we're not doing this and then eventually it got pulled again and she was able to do it with him and thank thank God, because if Oliver Stone had done this movie, this Ugh. movie would be one of the most misogynistic serial killer movies you would ever see. But once again, because you have women writing it and directing it, 
even though you see him kill women, it's not that you don't see him kill women. You see more of his violence and more of his disdain outwardly towards men as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was important to have in there. And once again, most of the nudity or any kind of thing that you see is actually of Patrick Bateman. Mm -hmm. And the way the camera, when even when you're watching women and, um, you know, when he has a threesome and all that stuff, it's still not, you know, you don't have these women like full on naked and writhing on the bed. It just gives the impression of that, even though that's not what's exactly happening, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're handling any kind of subject like this, it is important, I think, to have a movie where it's about a man who has such disdain for everybody, not just women, everybody having it directed by a woman makes it seem like you are not supposed to be rooting for this guy at all. He is a loser. He's bizarre. He's horrible. He's a psychopath. So you're not supposed to be rooting for him. Whereas I think if it's in somebody else's hands and since he's the narrator and it's from his point of view, you might, turn into rooting for him which is where I think the Dexter thing is interesting because I think a lot of people root for Dexter but mm-hmm. I don't know many people that would root for Patrick Bateman mm-hmm. because you're not supposed to because this is from a female point of view so they are showing him for who he truly is and I, I that sounded like rambling to me in my head so I hope that made sense but I think it's just the main importance of it is because it'll take it really lessens that misogynistic tilt on it which women were still furious when this movie got made people mm-hmm. were up in arms were very upset um i don't know if you know that uh christian bale's stepmom is gloria steinem and mm-hmm. she was furious with him for doing this movie but i don't think this movie is misogynistic at all and i think that's because it is written and directed by women mm-hmm. and if you have that it's so important in this because they know they're not going to sit there and make the women nothing. They're going to, I mean, and some of these women are kind of, you know, they're out of it, but they're not going to make them like, you're not going to get off on watching them get killed, I guess is what I'm really trying to say. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get off on the fact that and they're not getting off on it. You're not going to get off on watching a, you know, a chainsaw go through the back of someone. You're not going to get off on that um, because the camera is not getting off on that. The camera during that, even though you look at her, she is, she has something on. Yes, it's a negligee, but he is completely flipping naked. Mm-hmm. So he's getting more, he's getting more of that gaze, the more of the female gaze. And you are kind of looking over his body rather than hers. If that, that yep. felt like rambling to me. I really nope. hope that made sense. <laughs> no, it, it makes perfect sense. And I think it's kind of, I think it's important, maybe almost necessary to really know these things going into it, you know, like, like now a lot of people know and realize that it's satire, but maybe at the time it was released, they didn't know that I didn't know that. Um, Not realizing at the time of its release, at least personally, that it was written and directed by women. Again, I think if had I been aware of those things um I probably would have enjoyed it a bit more because you're right we don't the movie does not focus on the women as like you said like you know in that icky male gazy kind of way or really trying to like highlight and showcase the murders and the violence that enacted on these women and that is extremely important because because I agree that he shows his disdain for everybody, you know, for his quote 
friends, the people he associates with, uh, even the way he's like talks to his lawyer at the end of the movie and just, you know, in that kind of flustered uh, moment, just and calls him like an idiot or, you know, a dumb bastard and all this stuff. Like he just does not like people. He is not a people person. No, he's a psychopath. He's a psychopath. So I think I think it is important to kind of keep those um, those things in mind when watching this movie, because I think it can kind of change in a good way how you view the movie and how you see it, because it is it's it's like everything you just rambled on about. It's you're absolutely correct. And I guess, yeah, I wish I would have paid more attention to that watching it for the first time back in 2000 early 2000s so well it wasn't marketed that way that's the problem and this was a really small independent movie and like I said nobody knew who Christian Bale was which actually I think is was a benefit when it came out because if you had known a lot of who he was it may have I, I don't know if it would have or not but um you know and and so nobody knew how his prep and all that kind of stuff. And no, and, and people weren't going to talk about the fact that this was written and directed by women. It sort of was, but the trailer for this movie is horrendous. It's horrible. It's awful. It makes it look like, I don't know, a straight to video type of movie. Mm -hmm. And so I think the marketing and all of that and the bad press and everything focused so much on how violent mm -hmm. this story is that I think that took away from some of it. Although most people I know love this movie. So, <laughs> so, so, and, and it's beloved by a lot of people, but I do know that pe when people don't like this movie, they really don't like this movie. And I, and I do want to say, even though it's kind of heartbreaking to me being as, you know, this is like one of my, my top five favorite performances ever too. So it is kind of heartbreaking, but I, but I get it. I understand because this is a very different kind of serial killer story. So I, so I get it. And, you know, Mary Heron said she didn't, doesn't even think Brett Easton Ellis realized that really what the book was, was a satire. And that's what she wanted to focus on. Mm -hmm. And her and Christian Bale are very similar. So in their humor and stuff like that. And so, I mean, even people in the movie didn't really quite get what was going on until later on. <laughs> like oh. Josh Lucas, there's a whole article where he's like, I thought oh. Christian Bale was doing some weird thing and then I went back and went oh now I see what he was doing so oh interesting I don't know <laughs> yeah I'm sorry I I am still kind of mad it, it's gone up a little bit in in my overall ranking of this movie but and but I think it's really interesting and I think it's important to kind of talk about these things like the importance of having this written and directed by women and again remembering that it's and how the movie, as you said, focuses more on the satire. Because I think that's that really goes along with kind of Patrick and this excessiveness and just him wanting to do what he wants to do. Like he says, he's fueled by greed and disgust. So how do you think this holds up as a satire um, that it's with it satirizing kind of that 80s wall street cocaine fueled culture um yeah perfectly it even works today it's a total commentary on capitalism and excess and the fact that you know uh christian bale was recently interviewed for gq and he went through all his iconic mm -hmm. roles and he said you know he went and talked to people on wall street when he was doing this 
And they're like, oh, Patrick Bateman, Patrick Bateman, like talking about him like he's this hero kind of thing. And Christian Bale was like, well, you mean ironically, right? You don't mean, and they're like, what, what, huh, huh? No, because they don't get, they they are Patrick Bateman. So Mm -hmm. it's like, and I'm not saying with the killing part, but they are like all these men in this movie. This is also, I think, a commentary on men Mm -hmm. (laughs) and their fragile male egos and their misogyny as well. And Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, None of these men can tell each other apart because they all look alike. Mm-hmm. The fact that the a business card, because the business card scene is still one of the best scenes in any movie. I'm not going to hear it, Jen, if you didn't like it. No, I, I agree. This The scenes that I did like, was de- that was definitely one of them. Uh, the, but the business cards. Yeah, and and little trivia. No, I'll save that for when talking about Bale's <laughs> performance. But the the uh you know even like you know getting upset about business cards sitting there and basically measuring their dick with a business card mm-hmm. when the business cards all look the same mm-hmm. they look almost exactly the same there's like maybe a little tiny bit of difference that most people wouldn't even notice so it's that kind of stuff of men and greed and the 80s was all about excess and greed and it was like this thing of like a slap in the face of counterculture or anything like that Mm -hmm. and everybody thought they were doing well meanwhile there were so many people that were suffering and you know I just think having a person who is set in that world and also be a killer is such a great commentary on that where showing how capitalism and greed and stuff like that kills literally kills Mm -hmm. and kills everything every bit of humanity like he says, you can look at me, feel like we're equals. You can see flesh, you can see, but I'm simply not real. I'm not human. I don't exist. And that's who Patrick Bateman is. I don't even think Patrick Bateman is necessarily even a real flesh and blood person. He like represents all that greed mm-hmm. and all of that, like lack of any kind of humanity or care or anything like that. That's why it's so funny when he starts talking about stuff like, you know, like the fact that he has a Les Mis poster and, and then he talks about, you know, we need to get back to a time of like family values and we mm-hmm. need to care about people and all that stuff. When honestly, that's, he's not saying that because he believes that he's saying that because that's a talking point. That's what you say for people to look at you better. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't believe a single word of that. He just believes in excess. <laughs> Fergie loves this movie, so... <laughs> He believes, you know, in excess. And when he's killing, he's doing that in excess too. Sex is in excess. Mm-hmm. Where they eat is in excess. Um, working out in excess. So he represents that excess to an extreme. And I think that's really what this movie is about. Is mm-hmm. about um, capitalism and how capitalism can kill. And greed and how it can kill. And men and how they can kill. And so it's all of that. And that's why, again, it's so important. It was done by women. Because if Oliver Stone had done this, oh God, I, I just that would have all been lost. Shudder. Oh yeah. yeah, it would have been completely lost. So, mm-hmm. and Leonardo DiCaprio, no offense to him, but that would have been horrible. So, yeah, and, and I think this is definitely one of those movies where I can't picture anyone else as Patrick Bateman. And I'll, I'll say again, like I, I really enjoyed Christian's performance in this. It's very creepy and scary, and the way he his whole like skin routine and then the way his face just kind of looks like shiny plastic for like the rest of the movie. Like you said, that shell of a person. Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, 
those are all really great points. And I, I appreciate you bringing really good talking points to today's episode. Cause like I said, I didn't really have any, but I think it's now, when was the book written? Do you uh, know? The book was written. I can't remember. I was, I meant to grab my copy of the book because Brett Easton Ellis wrote a lot of novels that are set in the eighties. And most of his novels are about that. Like he wrote, I don't know if you ever saw the movie less than zero. Um, yes, yes. 1991. It was from 1991. Okay. Um, and less than zero is also, you know, I mean, it's more about drugs, but it's also in that kind of realm. Mm -hmm. But this, the book is thought of as like one of the most hated novels ever written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had read that like a lot of like the movie is definitely like a toned down version of the book. The book is a lot more violent and graphic when it comes to the murders and everything. And it's like a part of me is a little curious now, but I also have to remember that I'm a big old softy these days. And just like, like at work, we were talking about the Truman show and I'm just like, I love that movie. It makes me cry every time now. <laughs> so I don't know that I could handle the book but um but yeah I was just kind of curious like as to when it came out it and like it's the in the setting of the story if it was like it came out in the 80s but I suppose he wrote it throughout the 80s and then published 91 so oh, yeah to really kind of dive into that excessive decade so um let's see what else have we got so okay let's get to some of my questions I've got a lot of them so do you want me to just rattle them all off? And <laughs> like I told Jen, I could do a commentary track on this movie. So and, I can. <laughs> and it was really tempting not to respond with, you might have to. <laughs> all right. So, you know, we kind of get this idea that not everything we're seeing, you know, through Patrick's eyes is real, you know, especially when we get to the end and the ATM is like, feed me a straight cat. <laughs> That was funny. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Real quick. A note I have about kind of like the satire and everything. Like, I really liked how in the very big, like in the beginning and they're walking through the restaurant and you hear people ordering food at this like really fancy bougie restaurant. But it's like this weird combination of like, quote, fancy foods and comfort foods. Like you have swordfish meatloaf and squid ravioli. Like, these are not things I think would go together. And then like, there's like fancy French fries and everything. So I, uh, that, that just made me chuckle. And I thought it was, that's like a really good kind of more subtle example of kind of the satire and a little bit of like the, the poking fun at these elites. Okay. So what's real in Patrick's mind? Here are my questions. <laughs> the first time he calls Dorcia to make a reservation. And they laugh at him. Was that real? I don't know. Yes. Okay. Did he actually kill Paul Allen? Like yes. where? Huh? He did? Sorry, go ahead. I don't know. That's okay. Sorry. I will wait. I, I'm just so anxious for answers. Okay. Uh, let's see. He tells. Oh, God. Now I can't read my fucking handwriting. Oh, so all these little times where he tells people like the the bartender at the club and Paul and another woman at the club at a different club, all these little things about how he likes to hurt people and murder. Now, the first time he does that in the club, 
I always assumed, yes, he said it out loud. She couldn't hear him because it's a club. But every other time, it seems like either people weren't, it didn't register or they didn't want to hear it or maybe he didn't say it. So you may go ahead and answer that. Is he, what the fuck? (laughs) Okay, this is the best question. This is why I love this movie because people have totally different thoughts on this. And when we recorded my episode, everybody had a different thought on this. Oh, fun. So that's why I love this question. I think this is, and and if you hadn't put on put it on there, this would be a question I put on there. This is my thought on it. First, number one, you have Patrick Bateman is the narrator. This is all from Patrick Bateman's, Bateman's point of view. So he is an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. You don't know exactly what's real and what's not real. I think uh, there are times when he does say stuff, like when he's talking to the model and he says, I'm into murders and executions mainly. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. You can excuse that, that she might've misheard. But I yep. think the reason you have so many times like that, like when he is talking, is having dinner with Paul Allen and he's like, did you know that I like to dissect women? Did you know I'm really <laughs> insane? And, and Paul Allen just got a, you know, he's drunk and just kind of chuckles at that. I think that's also another commentary on greed and um, and uh, capitalism and everybody being into themselves and not hearing other people. So I think it, he I think it's very up for debate because I do I personally believe and I think it's fine whatever anybody believes about this. Honestly, I don't think there is a right or wrong answer to this, mm-hmm. but I believe that when he's saying those things, he really is saying those things. But nobody's listening to him. And, you re- you know, when, when people, when he's having dinner with Paul Allen, Paul Allen doesn't think he's having dinner with Patrick Bateman. And when he talks about Patrick Bateman and when other people talk about Patrick Bateman, they always call him a loser. So it's kind of like nobody's paying attention to him anyway. Nobody can tell each other apart. So he can get away with saying that because basically it's like it's another commentary on things can be right in front of your face. Mm-hmm horrible things happening and you're just not going to pay attention to them because you're more involved in yourself and you're that's my take on it there are tons of other takes on it i do believe he killed paul allen i do believe he killed those women i do not believe he shot up a police car and it exploded because that's just not realistic i don't believe that whole thing happened because i think there's a part of Patrick Bateman that wants to be more amazing at this than he is. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe that happened. Uh, but when we recorded it with the with the Paul Allen murder and other things, one of my panelists, Sasha, Sasha, she pointed out, she's like, his apartment is so flipping white. There is no way he could do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought the same thing too. I was like, I was like, where's the plastic? <laughs> Just well, newspaper. <laughs> the raincoat yeah <laughs> in one of the best scenes also so uh it is. It's, it's a great scene <laughs> yeah oh, it's so amazing um but so I think some of it's real and some of it isn't real I think um you know but I think any interpretation can be valid and I think this is a good thing for mm-hmm. the movie I can understand how it could be frustrating but I think it's good because it's just a comment. It's it feeds into that commentary, I think. And I'm tr- and you know I'm trying to remember in the novel if it was more because the stuff he does in the novel is oh god, I mean, it just I'm not going to go into details of it because it's just really really awful. But you believe that he's doing this stuff in the novel, so I think the movie is a lot better at doing it where it can be up to your interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's 
one of the things I will always appreciate about this movie is that even though it's horrible, but it's reality is that he never gets caught really. I mean, yes, his secretary does end up looking at all of his sketches and gets freaked out, but he doesn't get caught. And the Mm -hmm. other argument you could make that it's not real is all the sketches. Oh, he's just sketching this and he doesn't actually go through with it. Right. And this is just in his mind that what he wants to do. (laughs) So, but I think, I think he really does kill people. I just don't think the scene when he's running away from the cops and shoots up the police car. I don't think that's real. I think that's more him just totally getting lost in his own fantasy, Mm -hmm. his own psychosis. Yeah, I would agree. I, I kind of think that the, uh, yeah, the, the police car and everything didn't actually happen because at that point the manhunt would be so <laughs> so wide and expansive and yes. you know i know it takes place in the 80s but it's like weren't there still cameras and atm machines and everything like you can <laughs> kind of piece all like the the timing of the events all together to narrow down to a suspect yeah i i get what you're saying i and i agree kind of back to the point of these other people in his in his world that aren't registering what he's saying about being a terrible person you know because there's also kind of the theme about the different masks we wear right when he's pulling off like the Mm -hmm. um the face mask and and that's such a creepy scene but and it just brings me back to the old like glue on the hands and then peeling the skin I was like he took that shit to a whole nother level um but yeah I kind of started wondering like yeah, are these people so blinded by their own greed, their own masks, and maintaining kind of their own status and version of themselves that they're just like, they're just, they're so self-important that they're not going to listen to anything. What, especially this person that we kind of learned throughout little bits that is kind of a loser. So they're not really anything that Patrick is saying, they're not going to really register maybe. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I, Okay. (laughs) I'm down with all of that. Uh, Let's see. The other one that I had was, okay. So after he kills Paul Allen and he's dragging his body through the lobby and we see there's like a blood trail, but then we get outside and we see kind of a little bit behind him, the front door and that little bit of the lobby and there's no blood trail. So did he imagine the blood trail kind of that, like you were saying, like him thinking he's, bigger than he is like better than he is where he's so like entitled that he feels yeah he can absolutely drag this body out leave all this evidence and nothing happens so that was kind of another moment and I don't know why I'm looking for very clear-cut answers like black or white like I I do like that it very much leaves a lot of this stuff up to the viewer for interpretation because I think that's what makes really good like shows and movies where we can sit down and have this discussion. People have mm-hmm. different takes on these different moments. It makes it fun and interesting, despite how I feel about the movie. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You can, you're entitled to be wrong every once in a while. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm right so often that I guess I need to be brought down a peg every, you know, a couple of times every fiscal year to be reminded that it's okay to be wrong, Jen. It, it would hurt me more if you didn't like a different, another movie we're going to discuss at some point on your podcast oh oh yes so okay now the running around with the chainsaw um oh i did i did have something sorry go ahead if it's i did 
with the with the blood trail and everything like that and his oh, ego yeah. i do think a lot of it is that he thinks he can just get away with this because he is getting away with it mm-hmm. no one is care i mean he will he's very open about the fact that he's killing people in a lot of respects and nobody does anything nobody cares nobody notices nobody says anything because they don't want to and they don't care and they're not noticing each other and so he knows that i don't think there was necessarily a blood trail because I don't think there's a way you could really get away with that. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that's kind of part of the unreliable narrator in there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then I'll add another thing later, but go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sorry. I just, no, was, that's sorry. all right. <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. So, okay. Now my next thing is about when he's in Paul Allen's apartment with Elizabeth and air quotes, Christy, the sex, the sex worker. And okay. So that whole thing. And then afterwards, right. So he he kills Christy with a chainsaw, but not before running around a hallway, butt naked, covered in blood with a chainsaw, like screaming and she's pounding on doors and no one's. And again, this can all go along with that kind of that satire and everyone's in their own world and they're in their own bubble and can't be bothered with anything going on. But it's like her body is at the end of the stairs. Does he clean that up? Who cleans that up? Who cleaned the apartment? Why does that real estate lady seem to know more than she's letting on? What is happening? (laughs) Well, uh, (laughs) I think number one, one thing I also appreciate about this movie, and once again, because it's women who did it, is when they deal with the sex workers in this movie, there's never any disrespect to sex workers, honestly. I think the fact that the sex workers are the ones that don't give a crap about what Paul with Paul Bateman. I can't believe it. I with Patrick Bateman. <laughs> that was bizarre. I did. I was. Um, but that the fact that they don't care what Patrick Bateman does for a living, because you see that in that one, the threesome mm-hmm. scene from earlier when he doesn't kill them, but he does, you, you it goes into great detail in the book, but does mutilate them, hor- does horrible things to them. But he said, don't you want to know what I would do? And they're like, no, not really. We don't care. I love that because it's showing sex workers as being real human beings and we we treat sex workers like such crap but i think that i think what that's a commentary on too is they always tell women if you are in trouble never ever shout rake or anything like that shout fire and i think that's part of what that's a commentary on i don't think that's where he killed her though i really don't because i don't think he could have that i mean that's again him building himself up in his head that he'd be able to drop that chainsaw and it would land perfectly yeah okay i mean this is a movie so you know but i don't i don't think that is possible but i do think he killed her i just don't know if that's the way he killed her but i do think it would be possible sadly because there's actually a real life case um and it was kind of and it was back in the 70s or 60s or something and this woman was brutally murdered and it was there was this huge apartment complex. There's a movie about it too. And she was yelling and screaming. All these people are screaming and nobody helped this person. Yeah. The, and the, so this is almost like that. So it's like, no one is, no one wants to open it because nobody yeah. wants, nobody, everybody's afraid. And also people don't want to get involved in other people's business. Mm-hmm. And that's why they say fire, because if you yell fire, then people are going to think they're in danger too already. So then they're going to do something. Gotcha. So, and I think the case you're, is that the, uh, like Kitty Genovisa yes. or case? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. So 
that all makes sense. See, I, I really, I really appreciate having this conversation with you because I, knowing how much you love this movie and knowing how much I am about this movie, this actually helps a lot where I can, who knows where I'll land by the end of today's recording, but I'm definitely gaining that appreciation because I must still be stuck somewhere on what my initial expectations for this movie were way back in early 2000s and comparing to what I had initially got and now being older and kind of seeing all these comparisons and really holding on to that. It's a satire really helps. And so I do like these commentary bits and what they're kind of satirizing. And I can absolutely appreciate that. So this movie just jumped another notch. <laughs> I might change Yay. my IMDb rating a notch or two. We won't, I won't say what I initially rated it as. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that really kind of um, takes care of all my questions oh except for like the paul's apartment and the real estate lady do you have a theory on that i think uh she does know i think that's i think there was something horrible there she was cleaning it up and they're trying to cover up that anything happened and i think people probably think paul allen did a bunch of this stuff or somebody else did i don't know but i think it was just more of not wanting to look at it not wanting to discuss it wanting to push it under the rug that's that's my thought so that's that's my thought. And then I did want to mention with Willem Dafoe's character, the detective, this mm-hmm. is an interesting thing. And this would might play into other questions that you have. Willem Dafoe decided and decided with the director and everything like that, that he would play this part in scenes in three different ways. Some scenes, he does not suspect Patrick Bateman at all. Some scenes, he's unsure. And then other scenes, he definitely thinks Patrick Bateman did it. And I love that he played it that way because that plays into the thing of you don't know what's happening because mm-hmm. he's playing it differently in different scenes. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's one of my favorite fun facts about this movie. And I love Willem Dafoe and he, you know, of all the actors, definitely can pull off kind of playing one scene three different ways and just do it so like beautifully and it really does kind of add to that uncertainty because there's just I love it I loved it so much like William like he's not in it a lot he just has those three scenes with Patrick oh you called him Paul Bateman when I was writing my notes I kept wanting to write Jason Bateman I'm like no that is so not the right person (laughs) gotta make sure not do that so that's just kind of funny but yeah Willem Dafoe is is so great in this and I, I love them. And I just, I think that is just such a fun and interesting way to play his scenes. And it really does. It really, really does add to, again, like you said, that whole uncertainty with everything in Patrick's world. Cause I thought one of the weirdest things about those two was this whole, like the Willem Dafoe's character just being like, let's go for lunch. Like what? That's really <laughs> fucking weird. Like, why do you want to be this dude's like friend? Uh, (laughs) but again like because he played it those three different ways you'd never really know what his motivations were for that lunch invite if it was a a suck up moment uh want to try and trying to read him one last time moment so Mm -hmm. i yeah that was that was great okay so yes i think that now officially clears up all my questions (laughs) No, sorry. One more. At the end when he calls Jean 
and you just hear from you hear Patrick on the other end of the phone to Gene just yelling, just say no. Who the fuck is he yelling at? Like himself? Like eh? He's <laughs> just, just another moment of him kind of losing his grip on reality. That's what I think. And I also think he is very frustrated with Gene. And when we talk about book to movie adaptation, I'll share a little thing mm-hmm. that they didn't quite do in the movie. Um, but I, th- I think that's that's what it is, is he's so frustrated with her because Gene is like next to uh, the sex workers. But Gene is like the most real woman and person, also Willem Dafoe's character, frankly, but in his circle and mm-hmm. so i think that's frustrating too and the fact that she's always like are you okay you know i'm always like oh, get away from this person so yeah i, don't I get what you're saying yeah. yeah i get what you're like maybe that's kind of his way of like warning her to like stay away from him like not help him because she is kind of like what's wrong are you okay sort of but i think he also is annoyed by her in a way too of like what oh why can't you just be like you know not such a I don't know. Such a feeling. Because <laughs> he has that moment where he almost kills Jean and then lets her go. So there's got to be something where he does somewhat like her, respect her, or that's just a small crack, a small moment of, I guess, quote, weakness, ironically speaking. Because um, <laughs> you figure him giving in to all these urges, that's that's the weakness but this is really the weakness yeah <laughs> so him giving into humanity well do yeah. you want me to tell you what happens in the book with her sure it's not I, graphic this is not a graphic yeah because yeah and then we'll segue into the book to movie adaptation because i had read a little bit about at least the ending of from what we see in the movie with gene with the gene character and how it compared to the book but that's just the little snippet on imdb so what have you got for us? Well, in the book, uh, they you see them go out to dinner and they go out to dinner at, once again, he's trying to pretend that the restaurant is the restaurant that everybody wants to get into, Dorothy, and it's not. And there was, and I can't remember the exact, something else happened and she finds it hilarious. She's like, this is hilarious that we're, you know, she's like, this is so funny. Like, she's not like, oh my gosh, you're such, oh, you're so, you're such a peon that you couldn't get into this restaurant. And she starts laughing and cracking up. And then he starts imagining them running on a beach and running to each other in this very like romantic movie moment. Like it's, he's like, wow, I'm picturing having a whole life with this woman. So the whole scene in his apartment where he's like talking to her and then he's got the nail gun to her head. And he's like, <laughs> I just really want a deep and meaningful relationship. <laughs> and he's about to kill her and then he doesn't. Um, and he stops himself from killing her, I think was the way they portrayed it in the movie, because that's very much what she is in the book is she's very much like this, like one little glimmer of humanity and one little glimmer of like a quote unquote normal life. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I actually kind of wish that scene, at least the restaurant part had been in the movie. That's the one thing I will say, as far as like uh, the only thing from the book I wish was, <laughs> was also in the movie. That's the only thing. Just because I think uh, that would have given Jean a little bit more um, complexity and she wouldn't have just been this, you know, woman who's fawning over her boss, who's like sexually harassing her the whole Mm -hmm. time. So it's like that would have been the one one thing. Um, 
I mean, I'm fine with the way it was done because I think it's hilarious that he's standing there with a nail gun to her head <laughs> yeah. and talking about how he wants a meaningful relationship and how he's getting the sorbet and there's a woman's head in his mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's just like, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. I, uh, yeah, because in the, in the book, she doesn't find like his no, drawings doesn't. and stuff like that. So, but we, that's what we get in the movie to maybe kind of show some of that how she's the only one that kind of can see beyond his bullshit basically yes which i do like that they added that i will say Mm -hmm. i mean i wish they'd done the restaurant scene too but i mean i don't want the running on the beach to each other thing but i wish (laughs) or walking on the beach i don't remember exactly how it was but it was something like that was like a romantic moment where the way it's written in there you as the reader are almost wanting them to get together and so it's very weird it's very off-putting so I'm glad in the movie that they didn't do that, that they had her find out. And she's the only one who really knows who he really is other than his murderous victims. But mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. Interesting. Yeah. And then because as you've said, and a lot of a lot of folks may know the how much more graphic the book is to the movie, how many more people, how many more women Patrick kills in the book compared to the movie. The only time we get like a tiny little glimpse into that is during his confession to his lawyer, which that one might be like my favorite scene because he's so unhinged and sweaty and, and it's just so funny to me. (laughs) It's just that completely like losing his grip and that kind of brief moment of like, he almost wants to get caught and then, you know, doesn't and everything. So that's his excuse or whatever, but it's I just I love the way Christian played that scene so frantic so back and forth the bit that I read on IMDB was that uh the director Mary kept kind of pushing him to get you know do it more intensely or whatever and so I think that really 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 worked but in that confession he rattles off all these different women he's killed uh all the various ways he's killed all these different people but all of that is actually in the book and like graphic very graphic detail yes uh there is a whole scene because he talks about how he ate some of them Mm -hmm. there's a whole part of the book about that um there's a whole thing with a skull and i'm not going to go into detail with it because it's something sexual with a skull it's it's really disturbing okay the book is just um the book oh gosh is a bit much it's it's a lot and a lot of people hate the book with very very good reason because it's um yeah it's very much you are it's and it's weird too because the book will be like this very graphic detailed scene of him killing someone or doing horrific things with with a body and then the next chapter will be a chapter titled Whitney Houston and that's when he'll go into Whitney Houston stuff like the monologues in here that's all from the book those are Mm -hmm. that's when he talks about music but he's not in the book he doesn't do that while he's with these people he's gonna kill it's just in the book it's just he's talking about the music and you're like what and then there'll be a chapter (laughs) all about how they couldn't get a reservation somewhere and so it's like you have these very graphic graphic chapters and then mixed in are all these other chapters about music and about not being able to get a good reservation and kind of bland boring stuff happening and I think they they adapted that so well because they integrated it into the story where it wasn't boring because in a way even those 
music chapters in the book are not as entertaining as they are in the movie mm -hmm. because if you're just reading that you're not it's not happening during anything pivotal it's yeah. just like okay so now we're going to talk about Huey Lewis now we're going to talk about this now we're gonna, you know it's just kind of yeah but but I I do want to stress that the book is not an easy read and it is ex one of the most graphic books I've ever read involving that. And I've read a lot of horror books. It's very graphic and very intense and very racist. I want to say that too. There is so much racism and homophobia in the book, even more than, because the movie has that too, but mm -hmm. even more than the movie. And it's, it's a very uncomfortable, it's a very uncomfortable book to read. I don't, I read it like right after the movie, kind of like a couple a year or two after the movie came out, mm -hmm. and I still have my copy, but um, I haven't read it since because it was just it's a lot. Yeah, it'll make you appreciate the movie more. <laughs> <laughs> One of those rare cases where the movie is better than the book, in my opinion. I know there are some people that don't agree with that, but uh, sure. but most people do. But because I know a lot of people that really like this movie, and that's fine. I only know yeah, like most most people with taste like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's not that I hate this movie. It just does I nothing know. for me. I'm just giving you <laughs> Which our is time. super weird. No, and that I know and I knew it was I knew it was going to be coming my way. So that's that's more I tried to prepare myself as much as I could. So but you know, when we talk about how quote violent this movie is, it kind of you know, you have a point on here that there really isn't much violence, but it definitely has that feeling, you know, you said it just feels more visceral. And I would have to agree other than, I mean, I, 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 I love the Huey Lewis in the news scene. Oh, I best scenes in a movie ever. One of the best <laughs> scenes. And I can't help it. I do enjoy watching Christian's character kill Jared Leto's character. Mm -hmm. Um, that that's a big highlight for me. <laughs> Last couple I could rewind it and watch it a couple times. <laughs> it is. It I would agree. So what do you so what is your take on kind of that there there really isn't much violence? And you know, and I'm I'm sure we can probably chalk that up to again having women in charge of this movie and not focusing on the violence and romanticizing the violent part. But the way that it's done, it's like you said, it just it there are moments where it just feels very violent and graphic. And, and gory but in, in reality it isn't compared to like other horror movies anything that falls mm -hmm. under the horror serial killer genre mm -hmm. how do you think she was able to really achieve that because I think that's pretty fucking amazing well this and and she was able to achieve that and have people criticize this movie for being unnecessarily violent when it really isn't and but you believe it is and I think you know, and, and this was actually originally rated in C-17 and she had to cut most of the stuff she cut was from the threesome scene, though. So that should tell you more sexual stuff that she had than like the violent stuff. Uh, I mean, because even when, when he kills Paul Allen, you don't even see Paul Allen's body. You just see the blood splatter on his face. You don't even see that. So it's like and when I mean, every time he kills somebody, you don't really see the visceral violence, really. And I think the way she was able to achieve that is because once again, you are following Patrick Bateman. So you're in Patrick Bateman's world and his mind. And so you are always on edge and waiting for that violence to happen. I mean, mm. 
-hmm. the very first time it's even hinted at is when he sees that woman walking and it's that music also whenever that weird music plays and it gets creepy and then the very next scene you see is just him at the dry cleaners with this with this sheet covered with some red substance cranberry juice Yes, and once again, that's him being like overly confident that he can get this blood covered. Like a lot, <laughs> like very, very much. That's not cran. That's not cran apple juice. That's what I to say. Um, so I think that's what it is. Is you're always on edge and you're waiting for it. So whenever there's even a hint of violence, it feels more real than it is because you're waiting for the violence. You're mm-hmm. thinking there's going to be more violence than there is. And the fact that, you know, there is, there are a lot of scenes with him with blood on him. Um, Very little necessarily on other people, but a lot of scenes of him covered in blood too, like the chainsaw thing and all of that. And so it is this very, where I think that's what it is. I think that's how they achieved that was the fact that you're, they're keeping you on edge, but they're not going to give you a lot of it because I think if they had, I think if this movie was actually as violent as people like to say it is, this movie would not have the same impact because I think sometimes when you have that much violence in a movie, you kind of become numb to it while you're watching it. So you're like, oh, this is going to be another violent scene. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying it doesn't disturb you, but I'm just saying you're not as anxious about it. And I think it's important that you're anxious about it in this because you don't ever want to side with Patrick Bateman. And so that also makes you anxious with what is he going to do? How is he going to do this? Like the whole scene, the whole scene, you know, with in the apartment where he almost goes Jane, he's got the, the nail thing and all these other things when he's like, got like his pristine looking ax and when he's doing, and he's looking at other things, ways to kill her mm-hmm. and he's picking up all these weapons. And so you're on edge the whole time and nothing happens mm-hmm. but it's that being on edge and waiting for that violence that makes when the violence happen seem more intense because you've been waiting for this so long that you've built it up in your mind and so then it's like holy crap he just you know killed this what he just killed this woman with a cha- with a um a chainsaw or mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing so it is so visceral that that's mm-hmm. it becomes visceral because you're waiting for it i think the anticipation makes it more tense yeah. than anything. And kind of a little bit of that, in in addition to that, the whole kind of less is more, you know, yes. where it's like, we could have had, you know, we've got that kind of build up that anticipation, but had it been followed through with something more associated with like horror movies, you know, like your saws and your stuff like that. Yeah, I think the less is more really helps in this sense even though back in 2000s when I first watched it thinking it was just like a straight slasher flick I was like where's the blood where are the bodies (laughs) but you know what we do get a lot of we do get those glimpses uh, in that scene at Paul Allen's apartment with Christy and Elizabeth as Christy's trying to run away and then we're encountering all these bodies and then we really see just like like visually see what a fucking monster he is. Cause we don't really need to see him do the things that he did to those people, mm-hmm. but seeing that they're there hanging in a closet, lying on the bathroom floor, head in a fridge, all these things. You're just like, fuck that's messed up. So yeah, the I, I guess I can appreciate the less is more. If this Anyways. had been done by Oliver Stone, it would not have been less is more. Once again, exactly. I'm going to stress how important it was. This was done by women because yeah. 
if this was Oliver Stone, it would have been like nonstop violence. And you know what's so funny is even though I know this isn't a violent movie, I think of it as a violent movie, but not in a bad way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just yeah, no, and it's definitely kind of up there with like psychological thrillers in a way. It's I think this movie is very multi-genre, right? You've got your dark humor with the with the satire and you know that with the commentary and everything and then you've got your touches of horror and stuff um and almost kind of like a almost almost like a slow burn kind of leading up to that final moment of the confession you know paul allen's place the confession and even that last kind of one-on-one with his quote lawyer because you still just don't Mm -hmm. know where that moment is going to go so Cool. Well, let's see. I think we've just about hit all of the talking points, but let's go ahead and gush about Christian Bale's performance and his butt. Because <laughs> what a magnificent body. Right. <laughs> of work, but magnificent body also. Um, one of the things I read on IMDb was that the director, Mary, said that when Christian was filming his shower scene, all the women... <laughs> all gathered around and I was like yes equality no <laughs> it's true I mean my gosh that ass is that's that's why when he says you know nobody wants to see my ass for for Thor because that character originally is in a g-string oh that's right and he was worried and I'm like well I I begged I'm, I mean I don't know your ass might not look like it did in this because he he doesn't like working out he just worked out for this but, but still I don't know so it'll be fine seeing your ass, Christian. Mm-hmm. No, thank you very much. So that definitely was. If you're comfortable showing it, I should say. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, especially for one of his, I guess, more earlier earlier roles, one of his earlier starring roles. And from what IMDb tells me, this was at first, folks were really worried about Christian taking this role and thinking that it was going to damage and hurt his career. And it in fact had like the opposite effect. So yeah, his performance, it's amazing. It's so fucking creepy. And then especially when you go back to rewatch this movie now, after seeing a bunch, you know, all of his other movies, it it is just amazing what, what that man is able to do. So let's go ahead and go ahead and you continue to gush about Christian fucking Bale's performance, because that is definitely one of like the big, big things about this movie that I do really, really, really enjoy and appreciate. Well, I'm glad you, you at least enjoy and appreciate his performance because you, if you didn't enjoy and appreciate his performance, that would be so heartbreaking to me because like <laughs> this is in my top five favorite performances. I just, everything about this is perfect. I don't think there's a single false note. Um, Christian Bale is, you know, Christian Bale is known for going to extremes and for really, really embodying characters. And what's amazing in this movie is you know in real life christian bale was asked you know what do you like about patrick bateman he's like i don't like anything about (laughs) what i like about patrick bateman but even though he doesn't like anything about patrick bateman in real life that does not come through in the performance he's so completely in this character and in this man's head that you don't see anything of christian bale and that's the way he is period and the eyes the eyes are so vacant and Mm -hmm. missing any humanity but that's still a performance there you still see the character there because there's a because the character lacks any real humanity or personality and and um the scene in the mirror when he's taking out the mask which was done in one take by the Mm -hmm. way 
is so incredible because it's just peeling a mask off. It, But it says everything about the character. It's one of the few times you actually see the real Patrick Bateman is in that mirror scene because you see all the coldness, all the anger, all the like complete rage and disgust in that scene. Mm -hmm. And it's just him peeling off a face mask and he's not looking at anybody else but himself. And it's incredible to be able to do that without a single line of dialogue. Yeah, there's the voiceover, but that doesn't count because he's in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Without doing a single moment of dialogue, just a little movement of taking a mask off and his eyes and his face and the way his mouth is set in like almost a scowl. Mm -hmm. And it's so well done. You get the whole character in that moment because a movie where you're following someone talk about their beauty routine that should be incredibly boring, but he makes it interesting because he is adding depth to it. He's taking this seriously. Like what he's talking about is the best thing you've ever heard. What he's talking about is the most interesting thing you've ever heard. When he does the music things, it's the most mm-hmm. interesting thing you've ever heard. And because he puts that in there, it is really entertaining or interesting. And, you know, the fact that Christian Bale didn't have any kind of qualms about the the nudity which i'm not saying i mean if he did then he shouldn't have done it and nobody should be pushed to do that i'm just saying he kind of was like well this character wouldn't care if people saw him naked Mm -hmm. so i don't care about that and being um you know he did workouts and ate a specific way and was doing that even when they were saying this movie isn't going to be happening he was still doing that (laughs) uh because he knew that it would be important even though he doesn't like to work out as a person and he doesn't like to do that stuff for this character it was essential and that was another way he embodied it um the the um the business card scene where he would start sweating and he does that a lot in this movie Mm -hmm. whenever there's any kind of freak out it's like he goes into this panic mode the character does and it's amazing he does that and he would just do that like they'd be like that was not in the script the sweating he just did that and then they would say cut and then he was able to do that on cue he was able to sweat like that on cue and Whoa. even christian bale's like i don't know how that, that just happened <laughs> <laughs> and that that is incredible because and other actors that were in that scene were like and people doing it were like this is you know filming and behind we're like this is so weird he's just able to just sweat on cue like how do you do that and he'd be like i don't know oh, oh that's wild <laughs> And, you know, Christian Bale, I think um, a lot of the reason I think Christian Bale is such a good actor also is he is very giving to his scene partners. And even in this movie, even though he loathes every every single person in this movie, he still is giving a lot to them. He still is in the scene. He's still there. He's not a selfish actor at all, even though he's playing an extremely selfish character. He is not selfish. And I, you know, I know a lot of people that were in this movie, number one, a lot of them didn't know he was, he was uh, Welsh, didn't know he's British mm-hmm. until one day he showed up and he was talking in his real accent uh, because he does that. If he's doing an American and he's doing interviews during that, he will keep that accent. So if you watch interviews with him for this, like when they're on the set, he's talking like Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. Um and so a lot of people went, wait, you're, wait, you're not, you're not American. Wait, what? Yeah. They thought he was preparing <laughs> for another role. And he's like, no, this is me. This is my real voice. <laughs> um, and Josh Lucas, uh, who also then starred in Ford versus Ferrari with him. 
he said at first he thought this was a horrible performance, but then when he worked with Christian again, and then also looking back on it and actually watching the movie, he saw what he was doing because he thought it was horrible because everybody else is playing themselves and normal, all the other characters. And what Patrick Bateman is doing, Patrick Bateman is always acting and always putting on this performance and putting on this persona of the Wall Street guy and the guy who's got all the money. And the times you see it slip is when he starts to sweat or his hair is not perfect or when he's in the mirror and you see the real him. And so because he's pretending to be like all those other actors, I can imagine if you're an actor in that scene, it would feel weird because this guy's not being natural, but he's not supposed mm-hmm. to be natural because this mm-hmm. isn't really who he is. So I just think every note of this performance is amazing. And when he kills Paul Allen, number one, the little dance he does, that was yeah. improvised. Yep. <laughs> totally improvised uh and after he kills him you know and he's in this like lethal thing but then there's a couple moments like he goes into the bathroom you see the unnamed prescription you don't know what it's Mm -hmm. a prescription for he takes those he looks in the mirror he's got that cold almost scared look almost confused look amazing and then he turns that off switches and starts talking about huey lewis and then kills Paul Allen and gets angry and is like, try to get a reservation now. Picking <laughs> out all his hatred that he can't be as great as Paul Allen. Mm-hmm. And then he lets out that deep sigh, sits there, lights a cigar. Half of his face is covered with blood. And it's just this moment of boom, the switch into who he really is. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like um, with him lighting the cigar and... Um, sitting there and you still hear hip to be square and him letting out this breath it's almost like a person who's been holding in all this rage they finally let it out and they're like able to relax even though he still looks completely angry Mm -hmm. it's an amazing performance to go from that jubilee of talking about Huey Lewis in the news to switch it to being who he really is because nobody else is around to see him be this fake person he can be who he is. And it's just, I don't know, there's so much subtlety there. Um, you know, I talked about this when we talked about when I did the pale blue eye on my podcast recently, which is, he's so fantastic in that movie, is that I don't think a lot of people realize Christian Bale is so good at doing subtlety. He does little mm-hmm. things that you don't even notice. And that's why that scene in the mirror with him taking the mask works so well, because it's so subtle. Mm-hmm. There, It's not, yes, this character is over the top, but Christian Bale is being subtle in it. He's because you have to be subtle with a character like this to make it more realistic, even though it's Absolutely. out there. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, and that's kind of the way. Yeah, I would agree. You kind of have to play, you know, a serial killer role that way with the subtleties, because I would imagine there are subtleties within, you know, in, in real life serial killers. Uh, granted, my only. <laughs> quote experiences you know Dexter and and how Dexter strives for kind of like that normalcy that boring Mm -hmm. guy that you know oh what a loser he couldn't do anything you know type outward persona type thing so I I don't know what else I can add to Christian's performance in this movie I agree it is so fucking good and for me it's this it's again the confession confession scene um, that I think is just one of my is probably my favorite moment Christian moment in this movie it's so erratic and there's like a bit of like desperation but almost like a little bit of like pride of like I just don't think I can get away with it anymore because I've gotten away with it 
for anywhere between 20 to 50 body, you know, people in this and that. So I, I love it. And then yes, of course the, the Huey Lewis scene is, <laughs> it's fun and it's hilarious, but it's also very, like you said, everything with his performance in that scene and the way he switches back and forth. It's also, so it's kind of, it's very disturbing in that way as well. So it's just a great scene. The funnier die with Weird Al and yes. Huey Lewis has got to be like maybe <laughs> quite possibly one of the best bits to come from this movie. It's so fucking great. It is. It's so good. <laughs> and yeah, I love these little things that like kind of Christian did these like um, unscripted moments, you know, like the little shimmy that he does. And then when he's doing the jump rope, he does the crisscross like yeah. a like a school kid would on the playground. And I had read that that took Mary completely by surprise, but she loved it and kept it in. And so it's like you just you got to appreciate an actor that gets so into the character's mind where these things completely fit. Like there's like this little bit of like fun to to him or maybe still somewhat of like an innocence there because and but we don't really know because as we've discussed everything is through his mind so he's not going to see himself that way but it kind of leaves the hint that there is a little something playful and maybe that is the murderous side but just that simple act of doing the crisscross while jump roping is I don't know there's just something really kind of cool but very <laughs> very unsettling about it <laughs> Yeah, well, and the fact that right before that he was doing crunches while watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't really? No. Always, you know, calling and trying to make reservations while watching porn, hardcore pornography in the mm -hmm. background, which, you know, I mean, it's like, it's it's all these weird things. And then can, can I add one more little quick Absolutely. thing? Absolutely. Sorry about Christian Bale. I think also the reason Christian Bale is such a good actor, and, and in a way it makes me sad to say this kind of, but um, well, Christian Bale did start acting when he was a young kid and he did not like, didn't like it. But um, once again, do not make your kids uh, make money for you. Mm -hmm. But um, the money was so good and his parents wanted him to keep doing it and blah, blah, blah. We won't get to pick into that. <laughs> but, you know, he never went to school. He never had any formal training. He was accepted to some of the most prestigious acting schools, but he wasn't able to go. And um, and he said when after he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for The Fighter, he said, you know, I always feel like um, I'm not as good as everybody else. And I always have to prove myself and I always have to be better than I have to prove that I belong there because so many people have training and I don't. And so he said he, you know, he saw this interview with or this thing about Jimi Hendrix and he loves Jimi Hendrix. And how Jimi Hendrix would play the guitar so much that his fingers would start to bleed. And that's the way Christian Bale approaches acting. And he said, you know, there was another interview with him before the pale blue eye on the on red carpet. And he said, I'm always nervous when I start a movie that they're going to find out I'm not good at this. I don't know what I'm doing. And Aww. so, you know, that's also a note to everybody when you have the imposter syndrome. Christian fucking Bale has the imposter syndrome every time he starts a movie. That's also because he's so damn humble. But mm -hmm. so I just think that's also why he's so good is he's always trying to prove that he actually belongs there. And he said before he has a very love-hate relationship with acting, and that comes from when he was a child actor. Um, and so even though it breaks my heart in a way, that kind of breaks my heart. But I also think that's part of why he's such a 
amazing actor because he's just trying to prove that he actually belongs in the room with all these other people. So, Aww. I love you, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> that is like so the much. cutest thing. <laughs> Oh, and I think you're right. I think people, I think there's an assumption that Christian Bale is a lot more arrogant and egotistical and maybe it's those gorgeous eyes maybe it's the accent or I, I don't know what it is, but I would admit that I kind of, I have been one of those that have had fallen under that category. So with you being such a fan and having you in my life now and sharing Christian Bale interviews and clips and everything all of that that humbleness and that kind of like you said that imposter syndrome all comes through and makes him very relatable in that sense so it's really cool to have such an accomplished well-respected actor um kind of feel like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing because it makes me feel better about not knowing what the fuck I'm doing so thanks Christian Yeah, he's, but, I mean, he is very humble. He really is for people mm-hmm. listening. Because I think the reason people think that he isn't, honestly, is I think it's a couple things. I think it's number one, most of the roles he takes on mm-hmm. are so intense and he's so intense in them that people just think that must mean he is a very serious person. He's not. He is a big dork and he's very funny. I want mm-hmm. him in a comedy already, people. And, um, you know, and I think the other reason is because of that thing that happened on the set of Terminator where he was yelling at the person who got in the shot. And he has been very humble about that and said, yes, I was in the wrong, all that kind of stuff. So he's very open about that. But I mean, like, even I was reading this story the other day it's in on the pale blue eye, they were making very accurate food. And so he went into craft services. He wasn't made up yet. And it was like 6 a.m. walks in there. And this is from the point of view of the people in, in craft services and the people that are making the food that was very accurate to that time period. And he came in and he's like, can I get a picture of you? And they're like, you want a picture of me? <laughs> You're supposed to bail. You want a picture of me? He's like, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I want a picture of you? And I also want a picture of you. And you. he's like, because you've made this food so accurate. And I just love it when things are so accurate. And this is, I mean, come on. I mean, that's just, to, that just Aww. to me just shows. I mean, he dresses oh christian but he does you know real he's very you know you can see why his daughter is embarrassed by him he does a lot of amazing things uh philanthropy things that he doesn't he's not outright talking about all the time and so i think that also comes through in performances i think if someone's egotistical you know and then also if everybody didn't know he based some of this performance on an interview he saw with tom cruise so mm-hmm that, he said the smile was so vacant, buddy. Yes, which I love. And then there's like, because like I read too that like Tom in the book, he shares, Patrick Bateman shares like the building with Tom Cruise and there's an, a, an exchange or something in there. So thanks IMDb yeah. for that random bit of information that is now stuck in my brain. Completely useless. <laughs> but <laughs> y'all, I saw that too. And I thought that was hilarious. And I was like, well, that's, that's a pretty good person to to be inspired by to play a serial killer i don't care for tom cruise so <laughs> i i think tom cruise is he's in a cult and i think he's i don't like him in real life but i actually really like watching him on screen i'm sorry that i do <laughs> don't be sorry and and you know i've been saying for years that because because i don't care for tom cruise like a lot i don't watch his movies so i'm just like he needs to stop starring in movies i would probably watch if he wasn't in them <laughs> I'd probably like so all right well let's see oh just real quick you know you mentioned about Bale being naked on set and you know that 
that was his choice. What I had read was that he was so comfortable and because of how he prepares for roles and stays in character. So he would be, he would stay kind of naked on set between scenes, but with the classic sock on cock. So uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, those lucky ladies and maybe some men folks. So <laughs> I know I, I actually don't talk about him a lot in that, that realm of like lusting after him, but that would have been very nice. <laughs> absolutely oh god that's <laughs> to be there for the shower scene i just the visual that i have of that of just like all these people <laughs> gathering around to see and from what i read from the little bits that i saw he didn't seem to really be bothered by that so again just kind of being in that maintaining that kind of character mindset because i feel like patrick bateman wouldn't mind either but who knows no he would love it are you kidding me he'd be like yes yeah. over me <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get started on our Midwest goodbye. So we've got a few things to hit up and we'll start with the classic stray bubble. So this is the last chance for us to bring up notes, fun facts, or anything else. Erin, do you have anything? Uh, the opening title sequence of this movie is still one of my favorite things in the world because of the fact that you see the red dropping and it's not blood and you think it is. And it's actually part of the food preparation, watching the food being and I think that works so well because it plays again into what this movie is really about, the satire and talking about ca capitalism and all that stuff. So it is this very like the things that you're consuming and you're consuming this murder. And mm -hmm. I think it's it's still it's still to this day, I think probably honestly, probably the best opening sequence for, for a film. That's um, my big, big thing is is that I just think that's amazing. And and I love how Christian Bale says, I'm just a rocket and a rolling. Yeah. <laughs> so he lost it because it's just, just the way he delivers that line, I think is absolutely hysterical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, this movie is funny. There are funny parts. And I like, you sent a clip with um, Christian doing his GQ interview, talking about how this movie is a satire and how it makes him laugh. And I was like, oh, thank God. I'm not the only, if Christian says it's okay to laugh at this movie, then good. <laughs> Cause I did a lot. And <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I, I had a note about the intro as well. I really, and like, I really enjoyed it. And again, now watching it in 2023 and having seen all the Dexters and everything, I was like, this feels very Dexter. Like did Dexter was the series, was that opening theme somewhat inspired by this one with implied that. blood and food prep? Yeah, <laughs> I could see that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I don't have a whole lot. Uh, let's see the lunch reservation that he had with Cliff Huxtable, how the cop didn't catch on to that is very... <laughs> Not a good cop, but then again, the way Willem Dafoe kind of played his scenes, it kind of works that he didn't catch it, right? Like kind of along that more oblivious uh, uh, take on the character. So that's just a fun little 80s nod. But at the same time now, it's like, oh, <laughs> that name is sullied. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> like a <Yeah>. lot. <laughs> but shit, it almost works now as like that's with today's eyes, right? <laughs> like. True. Yeah. Oh, what did That's they know? <laughs> Apparently everyone knew. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and I always have to appreciate a nice Wisconsin shout out 
many, many years ago, my husband and I noticed how often Wisconsin gets brought up ever so randomly in shows and movies. And I kick myself to this day for not starting a little notebook because it's a lot. And so I always love a nice Wisconsin shout out. Um, yeah, that's that's all I've got. So we'll go ahead and move on to the next bit. We have a special segment today as part of the uh, podcast crossover with It's a Fandom Thing. So, uh, you know, it just a podcast crossover episode just would not be complete if we didn't incorporate something from Aaron's podcast. It's a fandom thing. As frequent listeners of this podcast may know, I like to play Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage because it's fun and this is my podcast and I do what I want. But in case you didn't know, Erin plays the Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock on her show because it's fun and it's her podcast and she can do what she wants with it. So <laughs> we we both play these games because of the extremely super healthy obsession we have for these two actors. So <laughs> super healthy, super healthy. So we'll go ahead and get started with the Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock and We'll go ahead and well, Aaron, why don't you start us off? This is your your the game you guys play. So yeah, take it away. And I went with my rule that I had this last month because Christian Bale and Finn Wintrock have been in a movie together. So my rule I made was that you couldn't use that movie for my podcast. I don't know how Jen did it, but so I used Justin Thoreau, who was in Six Feet Under with Michael C. Hall, who was in Dexter, as we've mentioned Dexter a lot. Um, with Jennifer Carpenter, who was in A Mouthful of Air with Finn. Oh, awesome. That's crazy, because guess who I picked to start with? Justin Thoreau. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> God, you know, one of these days with one of these six degrees, someone's going to choose the same path. It hasn't happened yet, uh, at least on my podcast. Well, we haven't done Nicolas Cage yet, so we'll see. But there's always kind of that moment of like, oh, my God. <laughs> So when you mentioned Justin Thoreau, I was like, ooh, did she pick mine? So that would have been, been hilarious. But I went, Justin Thoreau was in the Broken Hearts Club with Billy Porter, who was in American Horror Story Apocalypse with Sarah Paulson, who was then in Freak Show with Finn Whitrock. All American ah. Horror Story. So I went that route. So, <laughs> oh, fun, fun, fun. And yeah, I didn't make a rule because I wasn't sure if I was going to be using Christian Bale. <laughs> Because I fucked up when we played the last time we played for the big short. So that's what I get for trying to do it early is thinking I was following the rules and then not following the rules because I probably shouldn't do these things at like 11 o'clock at night. And I normally kind of do a last minute like, oh, shit, I record in an hour. I need my six degrees. <laughs> so I think I'll, I'll just stick with that process. That's what works. <laughs> All right, so we'll go ahead and then do the Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage, the American Psycho edition. And of course, get to Nicolas Cage in six steps or less. And Aaron, how'd you do? I I loved mine. I chose two in case you ended up, because I didn't know who was going to go first. Um, but I used Samantha Mathis, who was in Broken Arrow with John Travolta, who was in Face Off with Nicolas Cage. And there it is. And we finally have a match because that was one that I had down. Uh, <laughs> it happened. Podcast break to a moment. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. I yeah. I And I remember Samantha Mathis back in the 90s. She seemed like she was everywhere. So I, I don't know if she's still working or what, but I hope she whatever is. she's doing, I hope she's 
happy and doing great because I always really enjoyed her and she's in this movie very little and you do I do feel a lot I do very much feel sorry for her character but that's okay all right so I have several because again I wasn't sure which route we would go but um it was it's been noted in IMDb trivia that Bale's performance is inspired by Nicolas Cage's performance in A Vampire's Kiss so I was like oh cool that was easy (laughs) um and then the other one that I had all set and ready was Willem Dafoe because he was in Wild at Heart with Nicolas Cage but then as I was going down the line of the cast members and kind of remember Samantha uh, Mathis from the 90s. And I remember Broken Arrow. I loved that movie because I had like a huge crush on Christian Slater like back in the day. And I still think he's wonderful. So I, I, I've i seen that movie way too many times. But the other one that I had was Cara Seymour was in Adaptation with Nicolas Cage. So there's a lot of cagey connections in this one. Yeah. I'm learning there's a lot of cage connections everywhere. <laughs> yeah, because I also did... Uh, Chloe Sevigny was in Boys Don't Cry with Peter Sarsgaard, who is an incredible actor, who was in the wonderful, amazing show. It's very super depressing. The Killing with Joan Allen, who was in Face Off with Nicolas Cage. So I used Face Off twice. Nice. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to connect to Face Off. I don't know why I chose that one, but but I did. And also another great Samantha Mathis, Christian Slater movie is pump up the volume and we did that on that show so just mm-hmm. I, I love that movie so much one of the first podcasts ever yeah and then even going through like her imdb she's she's done quite a bit with christian over the years so like since pump up the pump up the volume so yeah they dated for a while so. oh well that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> he dated all his co-stars all the time he was known for that so it seemed like a lot of the 90s boys 90s boys did that I think they did, yeah. But he, mm. d- I mean, he was dating Winona Ryder when they were doing Heather's, and mm, that's right. Yeah, I mean, yep. he just was known for. I, he was like my crush when I was young. I had his posters all over my room. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I do think he's a really good actor, though. I think I think Christian Slater is a very good actor. So yeah, not I as agree. good as the other Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Christian one, Christian two. So <laughs> they should do a movie together. <laughs> oh, all, just gather all the Christians, all the Christians, all the Chris's. No, just kidding. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> a lot of people. All right. So on to the last bit of the Midwest. Goodbye. The what's been streaming in your bubble. Aaron, what have you been watching lately? Uh, well, I, I, you know, so talking about Christian Bale, go watch the pale blue eye on Netflix. It's um, and then you can listen to our episode on it where we spoil things. Uh, it's very, it, but I think it's the performances are so so good, and you know, it, Christian Bale's fantastic in it, and so is um, Harry Melling. He's amazing too as Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and I love Scott Cooper as a director, and this is the third time that Christian Bale's worked with him because directors just constantly want to work with Christian Bale again and again. Um, so I recommend that one. Uh, I am prepping for, we're doing an episode on Regina King coming up on my podcast. So I've been watching this very, very heavy, but good series called seven seconds on Netflix. Okay. Uh, very heavy though. Um, and then I was rewatching speaking of Tom Cruise. I rewatched Jerry Maguire the other day. I still love that movie. I understand why people don't, but I still love it. <laughs> so. 
Uh, and then um, there's a fantastic movie called If Beale Street Could Talk, which also has Finn Wittrock in it, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it's a great Barry Jenkins movie, and that's what Regina King won the Oscar for, so I recommend that. Um, And then also the Pamela, A Love Story, that documentary is fantastic. That's on Netflix. Recommend that. Um, The movie Megan is absolutely amazing. Megan is the new horror icon. Yes, me, Regan, but it's said as Megan in the movie, so Megan. Amazing. I know there's a bunch of others, but I'll stop there. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking if they do like, if they go trilogy route with Megan, where are they going to put the three? <laughs> it's already in there. They are making a sequel. They are yeah. A sequel, so. I, yeah. So yeah. Cool. Uh, let's see. I have been watching. Well, okay. So husband and I just finished, just recently finished Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So then now we have started Star Trek Discovery. And I love them. I'm, we haven't watched the new Picard yet, but so far we've done lower decks of the newer Star Treks and I'm all in. I'm fucking loving all the new Star Trek series, just kind of the look and the feel, uh, the actors and these characters. Uh, We're only a couple episodes into Star Trek Discovery, but so far my favorite thing (laughs) is how everyone on this, on this ship seems to be kind of a dick and I'm, they're just, I love it. I love it so much. So in the first season, we're kind of like in engineering and we just have this theory that everyone in engineering is kind of a dick. Even Jordi <laughs> LaForge kind of had these moments of being kind of a dick. And I love it so much. So I'm super into it. What else? Oh, speaking of sci-fi, if you follow me on social media, you might know that I've been a little mad about the original ending to Quantum Leap that happened like 30 some fucking years ago that I only recently found out about. So I'm still very freshly angry about that. Um, so I've gone back and re kind of casually rewatching the original series, but I also started the new series and I like it. Like it's, it's very quantum leap, right? It's still very much the show conceptually dude's got a leap to put right what once went wrong and he's trying to get back home. But in the new series, see what happened was I saw the finale and I got really fucking mad and I was like, well, the new series better fix that shit. So that's how I started kind of watching it. And and so far, I, and I thought this first season had already ended and it, it hasn't. And so now I'm all caught up and I'm stuck to week to week like everybody else. So I'm very unsatisfied right now, but I, my hope was that uh, the main character is named Ben, Dr. Ben Song. So you have an Asian American as the main character, specifically playing a Korean American character. Song was my mom's family last name. So we are clearly related. Um, <laughs> but in, in that actor, and I'm sorry, I don't have his name up right now, but he was in um, Kevin Can F Himself with Annie Murphy. And that is an amazing series. It's couple of seasons it's very very good I highly recommend it but he's in that and he's just a cutie patootie in that as well so he decides to go ahead and and leap and everything and not tell everyone so and then with the leaping it wipes your memory so now he's trying to remember what he why he did the thing and no one knows so I'm like it better be to fucking bring Sam back because they acknowledge that Sam never made it home and then the program just shut down and Dean Stockwell has passed away, so they can't bring Al back. But there's all these other little nods to the original series. Like Ziggy still fucks up, so they still have to smack the little handheld Ziggy thing. And so it's it's still kind of fun in that way. But 
it's been revealed that he's not, Ben has not leaped to save Sam. So I just started screaming at the TV and my eight-year-old just starts laughing. He's like, mom, I love it when you yell at the TV. I was like, well, keep watching because there's more yelling coming. (laughs) (laughs) But I really like the cast of the new Quantum Leap. Very, very diverse. And, and I've noticed that we, in the new series, they focus more on kind of like teen Quantum Leap, right? Like all these procedurals, there's always like teens, like everyone has their own specialty and everything. So we spend a lot more time outside of the leaped time period than we did in the original one. So I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that, but like I said, I like this. I like the cast, so I'm going to allow it. Oh, and there's kind of like a mouthy Asian named Jen spelled with two N's. So of course I'm like, fine. (laughs) (laughs) I've been holding all of that in for like a week and a half. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, no. And we are going to cover quantum leap later on this year. I'm not sure on a date yet, but Oh, I'll come and yell on that show too. So that's, that's fine. But <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then otherwise I've, my husband and I, we watched the uh, first, the first few episodes of that 90s show and it's fine. I like it. I'm entertained. I'm in it for Red and Kitty. You know, my husband's like, I feel like I've seen a lot of this, but he's kind of in it for old Red and, and Kitty. So that's the only reason to watch it. I, I haven't finished it because I didn't like it, but sorry. it's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not super interested in the, in the kids. And I know that's who it's going to be centered around so far. The actress that they have to play Leia Foreman. <laughs> um, I, I think she's done so far a really good job of kind of picking up Eric Foreman's little mannerisms from the original series. So um, Yeah. I'm I've from day one, I was like, fine, I'm in it for Red and Kitty. And they've been definitely my favorite part so far. Although the Fez, when Fez pops up, that was so funny. It was so Fez. Uh, I, I think the problem is it's very hard to watch shows now that are set now where you have that laugh track. That's my mm-hmm. problem is even though like I'm I I love that 70s show and I rewatch it constantly. I'm rewatching it right now too. And like it's my bedtime show. And but and it doesn't bother me there but it bothers me that's <laughs> fun I don't know I would admit because like that first opening scene for that 90s show you know like you know the sets obviously obviously been updated to show that Red and Kitty have updated with the times and that's fine but there was still something that was like familiar but off and I don't know if it was like the set design I don't know if things aren't spaced properly like they're just an inch too close to each other or something but then the laugh track kicked in. I was like, oh, that seemed a lot more obnoxious. And we're rewatching, or I've been rewatching classic Roseanne and our youngest is like super into it. I mean, talk about, you know, laugh track, studio audience, mm-hmm. whatever, but it doesn't bother me there. But for some reason it was, and I don't know yeah. if that's just knowing the different, how these two different shows are being produced. One for what, like Fox or something, CW, and this one, the uh, a streaming conglomerate. So I don't know, but I don't know. I'm yeah. So that one's been all right. I've I've enjoyed that. I don't hate it. So it's just kind of like I said, Red and Kitty in it to win it. So, and then I'm gonna start Yellow Jacket soon because I just got season one on DVD from the library. So. I was going to start it earlier this week, but I, since I had planned to watch American Psycho twice, I didn't want to watch the movie one time, start the series, and then be like, now I have to pause and watch this movie again. (laughs) 
So it's like, we'll just watch the movie and then we'll start fresh. <laughs> so I'm really excited to watch that. I hear nothing but great things about the series and I like the cast. So I'm super excited. So yeah, that's everything we've been streaming. It's a lot, but we don't do anything. We watch TV. That's who we are. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for us today. I want to thank my lovely podcast, Brain Twin Aaron, for joining me and talking about this movie and trying to help bring me around to it a little bit more. So it's, I, I, I respect a lot about kind of more the production and some of like the behind the scenes fun facts, I guess. The performance is amazing, but I still, I'm, I think this movie is still just kind of, eh, doesn't really do nothing for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I can't love everything that I watch. I don't have it. It's very tiring. Oh, no, there's a lot of things I watch that I don't like that yeah. people love. So, you know, but, I, I will forgive you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. yeah, I really toyed with like, do I tell her up front or do I wait until I have her <laughs> like recording so she can't leave? No, <laughs> I wouldn't have left. I know. <laughs> But yeah, make sure you check out Aaron's podcast. It's a fandom thing and it's available pretty much wherever you get your podcast fix. Uh, you should definitely listen to her episode about the normal heart, big short American horror story, uh, Bates motel. Oh, and that's the other thing we didn't bring up. One of the fun facts was Jason. Nope. Patrick Bateman's character. <laughs> that the last name is kind of a take on. <laughs> Fuck. I almost went the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a take on that. Yes. Yes, on <laughs> Norman Bates. Um, but yeah, those are just some of the her better episodes uh, for reasons. <laughs> Me, I'm the reason. <laughs> White collar. White collar. Oh, oh, God, yeah. But yeah, so thank you, Aaron, so much for being here and joining me today and talking me through this movie. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you for still being my friend, my podcast brain twin after this. <laughs> and thank, thank you seriously thank you i can't wait till we talk about the machinist now is that the one where on your live stream that you kept mentioning had the big twist or was that the yes. prestige okay they both have twists actually the okay. prestige has a twist too okay because i remember you had like reposted like a clip from your live stream and i remember i sat in on a little bit but yeah the number of times you mentioned the big twist and how you're awaiting to, yes. <laughs> to reveal the big the twist. pale blue eye has a big twist too so <laughs> So twisty. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So thank you, Aaron, so much for being here. And yeah, like I said, talking me through this movie. Thank you to all my lovely bubblies for listening today and always. And keep streaming. Bye. You Bye. Yeah. There can you I go. say where I can be found? Yes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't I done that to you before? Yes. <laughs> That's our thing. We have, that's our thing. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Tell everyone oh, where you can be found. <laughs> so I am available on all podcast platforms, even the ones that Jen doesn't like. <laughs> like Pandora's. Sorry. I just always have to bring that up because I'm mean. And you know, I should double check and see if they've lost my application again. So <laughs> how do you lose an electronic application, Pandora? What the fuck? I Anyways. Know Pandora. Um, but you can follow us on Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. Instagram, it's a Fandom Thing Pod. Um, our website is it's a Fandom Thing Pod.com. 
Uh, we do have a special page that's just all Christian Bale. So you can find all our Christian Bale episodes there. Uh, please go listen. We've covered some amazing things. We're going to cover amazing things in the future. It's an ongoing thing. We'll, one of the episodes will be audience picked. So that poll will be later on this year. Um, and then you can also like us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod or however that goes. We're also on TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. So thank you again for having me, Jen. <laughs> Absolutely. And one of these days I will remember to uh, let you... <laughs> That's why I didn't say goodbye right away. Because I'm like, she's not letting me say where to find me. I was like, she knows she can say goodbye, right? And then I was like, oh, I fucked up. So (laughs) it's okay. It's funny. So yeah, listen to Erin's podcast. Give her a follow. All the things. One more time. Thank you, Bubblies, for listening. Thank you, Erin, for being here. And keep streaming. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at MyStreamingBubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at BuyMeACoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming. Hail Ed for life.